0: for inviting us to come. And it's so good to reunite uh, with a number of you folks that we knew when we were here. And uh, I was talking to Mike before the service tonight, and he said, you know, we didn't throw you out. And, and I said, well, it's a miracle that you didn't. Um, as I, I look back at those years, uh, this is the very first ministry I had, first church I had, first pastor I had. I looked, as I look back, I, I kind of think, you know, I was pretty green back then. <laughs> and uh, you all were very gracious and patient with me. And even more gracious to show up tonight uh, when you heard that I was going to be here. So, uh, But it's so good to see how the Lord's working here and how he's preserved this work. And uh, the place looks wonderful. You guys uh, did some really beautiful things here with the auditorium and the building. It's great to see. And uh, and uh, we just praise God that you're continuing on for the Lord. And uh, it's just wonderful to see the, the ministry continue on. pray God's continued blessings on, on the work uh, here at Ambassador. Uh, well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. As the pastor mentioned, our oldest son, Matthew, is at Camp Kobiak. We're sorry that he couldn't be with us. Matthew was born while we are at this church uh, at uh, Royal Oak Beaumont. And uh, we do have our youngest son, Andrew, with us. And, uh, and uh, it's so good uh, to be able to have him with us. And uh, if you uh, notice with me here in Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 18. I'd like to begin by reading this passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. This passage of scripture that we're going to look at here tonight deals with the true nature of spiritual growth. Of course, spiritual growth is a very important topic to us as Christians. Uh, When we get saved uh, and we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's not the end of the story. Uh, That really begins a lifelong process of growing in Christ, maturing as a believer. And this passage of scripture tells us what spiritual growth is all about. You know, as we think about the topic of spiritual growth, there are several questions that come to mind. You know, how exactly is that accomplished? How do we achieve spiritual growth and spiritual maturity in the Christian life? Uh, is the believer actively involved in this process, or is it something that God does for us? Uh, and these are all questions that this passage answers for us. So I trust that tonight this will be a help and a benefit and a blessing to each one of you here this evening. Uh, As we begin looking at this passage here uh, tonight, we notice, first of all, in verses 12 to 13, the true nature of spiritual growth. Uh, And we know, first of all, as we look at verse 12, that it does involve human responsibility. Uh, Notice with me again here in verse 12, where it says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When Paul wrote these words, he was in a Roman prison. Uh, so Paul was not able to be with these Philippian believers in person. Uh, but here he instructs these believers to be obedient to God, even though he couldn't be present with them. He would like to be present with them, but he couldn't. And uh, his desire for these Philippians believers that would be that whether he was there with them or whether he was somewhere else, that they would be obedient to God. They would follow the Lord and that they would be growing and maturing spiritually. Uh, Paul said a similar statement to this back in chapter 1. Notice back in chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul reminds them that they had a responsibility, a a personal responsibility to be growing in Christ, to be obedient to the Word of God, to be obedient to those commands that he as an apostle of Christ had given to them. And uh, that was their personal responsibility, to to grow spiritually and to be obedient to the Word of God. Uh, In this verse also we see spiritual growth involves human responsibility. When Paul made the statement, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a really interesting and fascinating statement. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What did Paul mean by that? What does it mean to work out your salvation? I believe what Paul meant here was that we are to work out in practical daily living what God worked into us when He saved us. Uh, When He saved us by His Spirit and He gave us a new nature in Christ and we became born again. Uh, That is not just a one-time event and then that's the end of the story. It really begins a lifelong process that the Bible refers to as sanctification. And, and uh, Paul's saying here, what God worked into you when you got saved, you need to work out in your daily practical living as you grow spiritually and become Christ-like. Uh, uh, we were to put into practice what God has done in us when he saved us. Uh, this verse, of course, is not teaching that we're to work for our salvation. Uh, the Bible is very clear that salvation is not of works, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Uh, says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So obviously, that's not what he means here by working out your salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. Uh, so Paul's not promoting here a works salvation by making the statement to work out your salvation. Rather, the point here is that we are to work out in practical daily living the salvation God has already Giving us, given us. Uh, the moment we get saved begins a lifelong process called sanctification. And it doesn't end till we go home to glory. Uh, Paul refers to this in Romans 8.29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Uh, God saved us so that he would accomplish a work in us so that we will be made like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. Uh, we're to be more Christ-like today than we were a year ago. Uh, you know. Before the service, uh, we were doing the math. You know, How long ago was it that we were here? And, and I think it's going on 15 years. Hopefully, uh, since you saw me last, since I saw you last, we're a little more like Jesus Christ than we were back then. Uh, and that's the goal. As we progress, as we mature, we become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that process will be completed when we're glorified, uh, when we stand in his presence and we're made like on him because we'll see him as he is and will be made completely Christ-like at that time. Uh, Notice also in this statement, he says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Uh, This speaks of the attitude with which we're to pursue our sanctification. You know, many professing Christians today uh, treat the Christian life lightly, uh, even sometimes flippantly. But here Paul says that we're to pursue our sanctification with fear and with trembling. In other words, we're to be very serious about our growth as Christians, about spiritual growth. Uh, We're to have a reverential awe of God and a respect for God that leads to obedience and that leads to faithfulness. Uh, That is the attitude by which we are to pursue our sanctification with fear and with trembling. Why? Because it's a serious thing. Uh, God has called us to become like the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're to give ourselves uh, to that. We have a personal responsibility, it involves human responsibility. uh, this aspect of our spiritual growth. So we see here that spiritual growth is not something which is accomplished apart from our individual involvement and effort. Uh, this is why Paul instructed Timothy to discipline himself unto godliness. Notice, uh, if you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You know, becoming godly is something that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, God's not going to zap us with Christ-likeness without any effort on our part. We need to exert energy. We need to exert effort. We need to discipline ourselves for godliness, uh, Paul says. The idea here is to exercise yourself to godliness. We all know that Uh, To be in shape and to keep in shape is not an easy thing. You know, I've I've attempted it a number of times. And uh, you do it for a little while and you might even get kind of in shape and then uh, you slack off and, you know, that all goes away very quickly. And you have to start all over again. And uh, being in shape, uh, being fit physically, takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of self-control. It takes a lot of hard work. And that's also true spiritually. If we're going to become godly, if we're going to be know, it takes discipline. To have a regular devotional time with the Lord, does it not? Uh, to be in the Word of God, to, to memorize it, to read it, to study it, uh, to, to, uh, to meditate on it, is, it takes discipline. Prayer uh, takes a lot of self-control, a lot of discipline. Uh, prayer, is, is to, to pray as we ought to pray, uh, really requires an enormous amount of self-control and discipline. Uh, being faithful to the ministry of the local church takes a lot of discipline. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're done with work, the, that little voice in the back of your head said, you know what, maybe it might be a better idea to, uh, to watch the Blackhawks and the Bruins tonight instead of going to church, you know. Uh, but after uh, the Red Wings got beat, maybe you don't want to do that. Uh, that might be a sore subject. I better get off that. Uh, uh, I'm not a Blackhawks fan, so you don't have to worry uh, in case you're concerned about that. Um, but, you know, it takes work to be uh, in discipline, to be faithful uh, to the ministry of the local church, to deny the desires of our own flesh. It takes self-control, which really is a fruit of the Holy Spirit when when we trust in Christ. Uh, So we see here one of the aspects of spiritual growth is it does take effort on our part. Uh, God is just not going to zap us with Christ-likeness. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes spiritual sweat to be godly. Uh, And then in verse 13, uh, Paul goes on to mention another aspect of our spiritual growth. And that is it takes divine enablement. It takes divine enablement. Not only does it take human responsibility... It also takes divine enablement. Notice in verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, here we see that spiritual growth doesn't only come by human responsibility, but it also comes by divine enablement. Uh, it's God who enables us to work out our salvation. In fact, God is the one who gives us both the desire and the ability to do of his good pleasure. Uh, That means he gets all the glory for it. Uh, He gets all the credit for what he accomplishes in our life. For any progress we make spiritually in becoming Christ-like, God gave us the desire to do that, and God gave us the ability to do that. Uh, So it takes divine enablement uh, to grow spiritually. Uh, Although the believer is responsible to work, as we saw in verse 12, the Lord actually accomplishes those good works and that spiritual fruit in our lives. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 5. He said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We are totally reliant and dependent on God for our spiritual growth. You say, wait a minute, you just said that it involves personal responsibility, personal effort. Yes. It also involves divine enablement. Paul doesn't say either or. He says both and. Uh, We must have personal responsibility, human responsibility, and we must have divine enablement. Uh, so spiritual growth in the life of the believer, the nature of it, involves both, human responsibility and divine enablement. Uh, there cannot be spiritual growth without both aspects in our lives. And it's, uh, it's important that we understand both of these aspects if we're going to truly grow spiritually. What happens if we uh, only emphasize our responsibility, but we don't uh, recognize the fact that we're totally dependent on God? Well, we become self-sufficient. We can become proud, uh, we, can, uh, we could uh, think that really anything that we accomplish is because of our greatness, our ability. Uh, what if we emphasize only God's enablement and we de-emphasize de- our responsibility? Well, we become, uh, we become complacent, we become uninvolved. Uh, we could even become fatalistic. Oh, whatever will be, will be, and it doesn't matter what I do. Well, that's not true either. Uh, so we have to have both aspects uh, and understand both of these aspects if we're truly gonna grow spiritually. Uh, Human responsibility and divine enablement both come together uh, for spiritual growth in the life of the believer. Then the other uh, thing we can notice here uh, tonight as we look at this passage is the results of spiritual growth. What does it look like for a believer when they they are truly growing in the Lord? When there's true spiritual growth and true spiritual maturity going on in our lives, what does that look like? And Paul also uh, tells us of, of that in this passage as well in verses 14 through 18. These verses give specific results of what will be happening in our lives if we're growing spiritually. It's kind of like a fruit inspection. You know, you have your fruit inspectors, they uh, inspect the fruit to make sure it's uh, consumable uh, for uh, customers. Well, we need to be doing fruit inspection of our lives as believers and make sure that these evidences of spiritual growth are true in our lives. What are some of these evidences that we should be seeing? Well, one would be in our attitude. If we're truly growing spiritually, if we're truly working out our salvation with fear and trembling, it's going to be reflected in our attitude. Notice in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh, the idea here is doing everything without complaining or arguing. Uh, that, that kind of hits home, doesn't it? Uh, you know, one of the evidences that we are truly a growing Christian and maturing in the faith is that we'll do everything without complaining or or arguing. Uh, being discontented with God's will is really an ex- expression of unbelief. And it really uh, displeases God. It was a real problem with the children of Israel, was it not? You know, Paul speaks of this, if you, know, if you flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, Israel had a lot of problems with grumbling and complaining and being discontent. Uh, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, Paul kind of makes reference to that to Israel in this particular sin in first Corinthians chapter 10 verse 10. uh, He says, nor grumble as some of them did referring to Israel and were destroyed by the destroyer. God took it pretty seriously. Uh, Many perished because uh, they had this uh, ungrateful, complaining, uh, argumentative attitude uh, before the Lord. Uh, And we see that here, especially as we notice this verse uh, in the original Greek text, the, Uh, The words all things are actually the first words in this sentence. The first words in this verse. It's placed at the very beginning. All things. All things do without complaining or arguing is the idea here. Uh, Why does it emphasize that? It's right at the beginning here giving it the emphasis, all things, because some things are easy to do without complaining or grumbling, right, especially things that we like to do. Uh, For example, a number of years ago when we lived here in Michigan, uh, you know, you probably all have gotten phone calls like this where they say, hey, uh, you know, we'll give you free tickets to sell and so if you'll listen to our spiel about this timeshare. And uh, uh, this was uh, for Disney World and it was for a very nice resort down there. And they offered us that's a really sweet deal if we'd go down there and listen to their spiel. It was at a nice resort and we got a number of tickets uh, to go to Disney World. and we thought, Hey, you know, we could put up with the spiel. And uh, it was in March, I remember, we brought uh, uh, the whole family. Sharon's mom and dad came with us and her sister and uh, husband. And I think they had one kid at the time. And, uh, you know, it was uh, when we left here, when we left Detroit, it was snowing and it was cold. As we drove down to Florida, it started getting warmer and it started getting greener. You know, that whole time, I don't even remember complaining or grumbling once, uh, you know, because, you know, that's something I wanted to do. I enjoy uh, leaving the winter of Detroit to go to the nice, beautiful weather of Florida. Uh, But, you know, some things it's harder not to grumble and complain about. Uh, for example, at Christmas time, uh, you know the way I, I grew up uh, in decorating was different than the way my wife grew up in decorating. Uh, when I grew up to decorate the tree, we just kind of had maybe one or two strands of lights and we swirled it around the tree and that was it and we were done. Uh, my wife's family, however, on the other hand, they wrapped lights on every twig of the tree. And uh, what normally would take five minutes took five hours. And my wife will attest to the fact that uh, there was a lot of grumbling and complaining that went on on my part uh, when it came time to decorate the Christmas tree. Well, we wised up. Last year we bought the pre-lit trees, and I don't have to complain and grumble anymore about it. Uh, so it kind of helped my sanctification a little bit to get those pre-lit trees. Um, but the idea here, uh, Paul puts it right at the beginning. All things do without grumbling and complaining. Why why does he do that? Because some things are are really difficult not to grumble and complain about. Uh, But the mark of a Christian is truly growing. Their attitude will be, you know, even the difficult things, even the unpleasant things in life, uh, God has allowed those things in my life for a reason. And they're for my good and and they're for God's glory. And God's going to use that to mature and to strengthen my faith and to make me more like Jesus Christ. And even in the face of those difficulties and trials, we can rejoice, as Peter says. Uh, he tells us to, to, to take joy in various trials that come into our lives. Why? Because God's in control, and God's going to use those things for our good as his children uh, to make us more like his son. And so one of the marks that we're truly growing in Christ is that we're going to be grateful. We're going to be thankful, and we're not going to com- complain and grumble grumble, even in the face of difficulties and problems, because we know that God's in control, and he's going to use those things for our good, and he's going to use those things for his glory. Uh, So that's one of the results of spiritual growth that we could see in our lives. Another uh, result is seen in our testimony. Uh, Notice in verse 15. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Uh, This word blameless means above reproach. It means that as the unsaved look at our lives, that there's nothing there that they could uh, grab a hold of and a point an accusing finger at and say, you know, I thought you were a Christian. Uh, it's, it's, it's really what we ought to aim for. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. None of us are sinless. We all fall short of God's glory, even as believers. And when we do that, we need to confess our sin and ask the Lord's forgiveness and keep on going and ask, ask the Lord to help us uh, in that area and by God's grace uh, to restore us to usefulness for His glory. Uh, but it ought to be our aim. It ought to be our desire. It ought to be what we strive for, that our life would be blameless. That there'd be nothing that an unsafe person could look at and say, I thought you were a Christian. Uh, and, and, you know, how could you profess to be a Christian when this is in your life? This is the idea of what blameless is. Uh, above reproach. And that ought to be our desire. Uh, will we fail at times? Yes, we will. Because uh, we still have feet of clay. We still have that sin nature with us uh, that many times we, we fail uh, because of. But by God's grace, we could strive to live a life that is blameless, that is above reproach before a lost world. Uh, the word innocent has the idea of that which is pure. It was used in Bible times to refer to metals, which uh, had not been weakened in any way, a pure metal that had not been uh, uh, mixed or diluted in any way and, and, uh, and, or compromised in any way. Uh, this speaks of a life that has no contradictions or hypocrisies, a life that is true and sincere in every area. Uh, And, again, this is the standard that we ought to strive for. We ought to live consistent Christian lives. What we are at church ought not to contradict what we are at work or contradict what we are at home, Uh, that there's a consistency in our life. In every area and aspect of our lives, we're true blue Christians. Uh, And and it's a a consistent testimony in every area and aspect of our lives that, that we are living for Jesus Christ. This is what we aim for. This is what we strive for. Are, are we going to do it perfectly? No, but that's the goal. Uh, and that's what we strive for, is, is to be blameless and to be innocent, to uh, be sincere and without contradiction or, or hypocrisy in our lives. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is pre- pretending something to be something that we never intend on being. It's pretending to be something we never intend on being. And uh, our, our desire as Christians is to be like Jesus Christ. And that is what we're striving for. And that uh, ought to be what characterizes our lives. Uh, And why do we need to have this kind of testimony? Because of the world that we live in. Notice uh, also he says here in verse 15, uh, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Why do we need to live this way? Because we live in a crooked and perverse generation. We live in a crooked and perverse world that hates God, that has turned us back on God, and has turned us back on God's truth. And, you know, a Christian who is living this way is going to stand out like a sore thumb, Uh, especially as as the the world gets farther and farther away from God as our nation, and our culture gets farther and farther away from Bible Christianity. True Christians who are growing in Christ are going to stand out. Uh, I once heard the statement, the greater the darkness, the brighter the light shines. I remember uh, when I was in college uh, down at Bob Jones University, uh, one of my roommates was in aviation. And he said, hey, Jim, you want to go for a ride with me? I thought, yeah, that, that sounds like fun. Uh, so we hopped in the plane, and uh, it kind of started getting darker. And uh, we were flying over some pretty dark areas that uh, were not very well populated, but when there was a few houses, a few places that light, that light really stood out against that backdrop of darkness. And uh, that's true of us as Christians. As the world gets darker and darker, our light, our testimony ought to shine brighter and brighter. If we're truly becoming Christ-like, we're going to stand out. And uh, and, and people are going to notice the difference in our lives as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. So if we're growing Christians, it's going to be evidenced in our testimony. We're going to have a testimony that's blameless, that's sincere, that's genuine, uh, that the world will take notice of. It'll be like a light in a dark place. Then another evidence that if we're truly growing in Christ, will be seen in our witness. It'll be seen in our witness. We see this in verse 16, where it says, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Paul stated here that as these Philippian believers held forth the word of life, the gospel, Paul would then be able to rejoice in glory on the day of Christ day of Christ, uh, referring to that day when uh, Christ returns and uh, the believer's salvation will be made complete. You know, when the Bible speaks of our salvation, there's really three aspects to it. There's a past aspect when we are delivered from the penalty of sin. uh, That's justification. There's a present aspect where we're we're being delivered from the power of sin, that's sanctification. There's a future aspect when we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. That's glorification. And, uh, And Paul's saying, I'm looking forward to that day. When I stand before christ and and and, and your testimony, your witness uh, uh evidences that you are a growing Christians, and my labor, my work will not be in vain. you know when you are reproducing yourself uh, and and uh, and bringing others to, to faith in Jesus Christ, it will be evidence that my work, my labor is not in vain uh, that that god uh, that God has used me and and, and what I did uh, was worthwhile for eternity and uh, and, and and Paul reminds us here that uh, what God begins in our lives, he finishes. Uh, notice back in Philippians 1.6, uh, he makes a similar statement here. He says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of, of Christ Jesus. You know, God began a good work in these Philippians when he saved them, when they put their trust in Christ. And he's going to continue that day until Jesus Christ returns. And in that day, Paul looked forward to rejoicing because they bore f- forth fruit. Uh, the fruit of bringing others to Christ, the fruit of holding forth the word of life, the the, the truth of the gospel message. Now, one of the evidences that a Christian is growing spiritually is that uh, he'll hold forth the gospel and be a faithful witness for Christ. Now, we really can't say we're growing Christians if we're not witnessing Christians. Uh, This is uh, the responsibility God has given to the church. What is the church all about? Uh, It's about evangelization and edification. God has called us to reach the lost with the gospel, and to build God's people up in the faith. That's what we're all about. Of course, uh, we enjoy the blessing of fellowshipping with God's people and and the the mutual encouragement and support that comes with the ministry of the local church. That's all part of God's plan and program. But the overall objective is reaching the lost and building God's people up in the faith. And Paul says, I look forward to that day when Christ returns, and you are presented before Christ, and, and the fruit of your life becomes evident Uh, as you uh, hold forth the word of life and and point others uh, to Jesus Christ. Then one more evidence uh, that ought to be uh, uh, seen in our lives if we're growing Christians is sacrificial service, sacrificial service. Notice what Paul says here in verses 17 and 18. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Uh, Paul viewed himself as a sacrifice in behalf of the Philippians. Uh, Paul was willing to spend and be spent for others. Uh, Paul found that there was great joy in sacrificial service. You know, we sing, uh, there is joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart. And that's true. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, there's great joy in and sacrificial service. Now, the world says if you want to have happiness, if you want to have joy, you take. God says true joy and happiness comes as we give of ourselves for God's glory and for the good of others. And uh, that's one of the things that we do in a local church. We minister, we sacrificially serve so that others could be blessed with the spiritual gifts God has given to us so that others could be edified and built up. You know, a Christian who is truly growing spiritually and working out his salvation willingly sacrifices and serves for the benefit of others. And, uh, you know, as we, as we consider that, you know, does that mark our service in this local church? Are we sacrificially serving God with those gifts that God has given us for God's glory, first of all, and for the benefit of other believers in the body of Christ? That's one of the marks that we're growing Christians. Uh, God has saved us so that we'll serve him uh, in the local church and be a blessing to others with those gifts God has given us. Whatever, the gift that, whatever that gift might be. There is no such thing as an ungifted believer. All believers have at least one by which we could serve God in the local church. Are we, whatever gift or gifts God has given us, are we sacrificially serving Him in the ministry of the local church? One of the marks of a growing Christian is that, that that's what they do. And you know what? It's not a drudgery. It's a joy. Paul says, I joy and I rejoice. That I could be like a drink offering poured out in behalf of you. And uh, what a joy it is to serve the Lord in the ministry, to be a part of the work of the local church. There is no greater work. Uh, We're a privileged group of people here tonight. We get to be a part of the greatest work there is on planet Earth, Uh, the work of God, the work of Christ, the work of the gospel, through the ministry of the local church. And God says there's great joy as we serve God and serve others sacrificially uh, in the ministry of the local church. So this is what the Bible teaches concerning the true nature of and results of spiritual growth. We don't have to wonder what it means to grow spiritually. God has shown us. God has given us a blueprint of what spiritual growth is all about. It's nature and it's evidences. Uh, God has told told us how to grow spiritually, and he's told us what our lives will look like if we are growing spiritually. You know, are you working out your sanctification? uh, And are you working out in sanctification what God has worked into you when he saved you? Uh, And, you know, it's a lifelong process called sanctification Becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, Spiritual growth in the Christian life is something that uh, you and I are responsible for. Uh, We have a personal responsibility to grow spiritually, but it's also something we cannot do without God's power, without God's enablement. Uh, We must work at it, but we must work realizing that the, the desire to do so and the ability to do so all comes from God. And whatever we accomplish, whatever we do for the Lord and His work and in our growth spiritually, ultimately He gets all the credit for it. Because he gave us the desire, and he gave us the ability, and uh, so uh, spiritual growth involves personal responsibility, and it involves divine enablement. Uh, and spiritual growth is something that could be measured in our Christian lives as we do a fruit inspection. You now, are, are these evidences of spiritual growth true in our lives here tonight? Uh, you know, are, are 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 we holding forth the word of life? Are we faithful witnesses for Jesus Christ? You know, I notice a track rack uh, here. That's great. You know, tracks are a great, are, are a great uh, uh, stepping stone to give people the gospel. Hanson uh, said, hey, you know what? This talks about how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad that I came to realize what the Bible said about that. Now, are we seeking to be witnesses for Jesus Christ? It's one of the marks of a growing believer holding forth the word of life. Does our attitude reflect that we are growing Christians, Doing all things without complaining and without arguing. Uh, not just the easy things, but the hard things, the difficulties, the trials. Realizing that God uses all these things for our good and for his glory. Does our testimony reflect that we are growing Christians? That we are striving to live a life that is blameless, that is sincere, that is consistent. A consistent Christian testimony at church, in the home, at work, at play. There's really no contradiction there. But our life is consistent uh, before God and before others. And are, are we reflecting that? We are growing Christians through our sacrificial service. Are you serving God sacrificially in the ministry of this local church and using your gifts and talents and abilities to serve God by serving one another and building each other up in the body of Christ? So tonight, let's uh, examine our own hearts uh, to ask ourselves, am I a growing Christian? Am I working out my salvation in fear and trembling? Uh, This is what it means to grow spiritually, and these are the evidences to show whether we're truly growing or not in the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the Word of God. Thank you that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Father, that not only do you give us commands, but you tell us how to fulfill those commands and what our lives ought to look like for truly growing in Christ and working out our salvation. We pray, Father, that each believer here tonight would do a fruit inspection of his and her life, uh, that we would see whether we're growing in Christ, whether we're maturing in Christ's likeness We pray, Father, that these evidences will become become more and more clear as we we seek to grow in you and and to to reflect Jesus Christ in our lives day by day. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you for each one here tonight. Uh, Use these truths to strengthen this church and to strengthen our lives individually as believers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.